name's Chris. Uh, I used to uh, work here at Lakeside. Now I work at Madiba. Um, and uh, if I don't know you, hello. If you do know me, hello. And uh, glad to be able to speak today. Um, it's funny because Pastor Paul has asked me to preach a few times uh, throughout this past year. And every time uh, he knows I either can't do it or he picks a Sunday that not very many people are here. So I'm sensing a bit of a coincidence, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I chose a passage this morning um, that uh, is actually really close to my heart, and I'll explain why. Um, and before I get to the passage, uh, we're going to treat today a little bit more like a story. Um, it's a kind of still the holiday season. Um, it's going to be, uh, yeah, we're going to go through a passage. It's going to flow through the story. Um, and we have three main characters in our story today. Um, and we'll kind of pull out some tidbits from each one of the characters um, as we discuss it. The, the main character is the one we'll spend the most amount of time on and is the reason I chose the passage this morning. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it's the beautiful and challenging story of Abigail, her husband Nabal, and David, the soon-to-be king of Israel. Um, for those of you that don't know, I just had a beautiful daughter with my wife, and her name is Ab- or, um, my baby's name is Abigail, um, sort of after this story. And so I kind of wanted to choose uh, this passage and kind of talk through why um, Abigail kind of jumped out at me uh, in the Bible and why... In part, I named my daughter after her. So that's why we're doing this passage today. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's in 1 Samuel 25. And uh, I'll just pray before we begin. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning, um, being able to be up here. Um, Yeah, and just having uh, everybody still be able to come amidst COVID. And um, we just thank you for all that you do and that you've uh, helped us to get through to 2022. Uh, despite the many, many things that are going on in this world. I pray this morning that you can help uh, your words to shine through, Lord, that it not be mine, um, but truly your words through me, uh, and that you can open our hearts to what it is that you want us to hear through this story, um, and that you help us to be able to walk away this morning um, with even just one little piece um, that we can learn from and um, and make a difference in our lives, Lord. So thank you for this. Thank you for the story. Thank you for um, the story of Abigail and David and Nabal um, and just all that you uh, can teach us through it. Amen. All right, so let's set the stage for the story of Abigail. And as I said, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Um, the first character we encounter is David. Um, this is the same David that killed Goliath, the same David that's running from King Saul, the same David that later becomes king of Israel and makes a lot of catastrophic sins, but also remained a man known to be after God's own heart. He's one of the most well-known characters in the Bible. What I love about this story is that even though it deals with David, it's still Abigail that becomes the focal point through what God does through her. So David has been on the run from the then king Saul. Um, Saul wants to kill David because he knows that at some point God has ordained David to become the next king, and Saul is basically trying to stop that. And David uh, is running away. Um, God allows David to increase in his power, his wealth, and followers. And we know that David would have been known throughout the land, um, and uh, David has a, a significant army that he's also commanding. So David basically is running from Saul, but he has a, a large amount of basically followers and and people, and he would have been known throughout the land at the time. As we jump into the story, we see in uh, kind of the last part of verse 1 of chapter 25, that then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. During this time, we're also introduced to the next character in our story, um, a man named Nabal, someone we don't know much about other than 
him being a man of his own wealth and power, and he was the husband of Abigail. Verses 2 and 3 in chapter 25 describe Nabal saying, And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. So we have, we have essentially two rich, uh, powerful men on a collision course. We have David, who we know God had favor with and was a man after God's own heart. And we have Nabal, a rich man who we know also had his own people that were in his household, servants, etc. As David comes into the land, we go on in the passage to see that David and his men stayed in the area for a while. Verse 7 says that David wants his servants to tell Nabal that your, that your shepherds have been with us. So David and his men are staying in the same land that Nabal's shepherds are staying in. David assumes here that because he did the shepherds no harm and allowed them to stay with him, which also meant that the shepherds would have been safe from other threats, um, as staying with David meant more safety for the shepherds and for the sheep, that Nabal therefore owes him something. So David's essentially providing a service for uh, for Nabal by basically being a wall, being protection for for Nabal's shepherds um, out in the wilderness. And David um, is, is basically expecting to be compensated. By having Nabal's shepherds stay with them, he protected them from dangers such as Philistine raids and other such issues. I find it interesting that David is essentially um, wanting to meet the person in charge of the shepherds in order to get compensated for providing the valuable service of protection for Nabal's shepherds. In verses 4 through 8, we hear what David um, says. He he basically tells messengers to go to Nabal. It says in verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus, you shall, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I, I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So David um, and his men, again, had, had um, protected Nabal's shepherds. He then hears that Nabal himself is, is fairly close by, and he sends delegates to meet Nabal. Let's break this down a little bit more. First off, David only sends 10, 10 men. He doesn't want to appear like an army. He doesn't want to appear violent. Um, he tells the young men to greet Nabal in David's name, which also proves that David um, and his name would have been known in the land, um, and that David had some sort of power and recognition. David instructs the delegates to, to greet Nabal, saying, Peace to you, his house, and all that they have. Essentially, David wants to make sure that Nabal knows that he's not there to attack, he's not there to um, intimidate, he's there to, he, he's coming in peace, he, he, he simply just wants to meet the man um, of the shepherds he was protecting, and um, he did have some reason, he wanted to be compensated, or at least, you know, find an ally or a friend in the situation. And David also is um, fairly strategic in that he waits until sheep shearing time, um, which was customary, it came with a feast, um, it would have been um, kind of a, a party time. And it's not like David goes to uh, Nabal in the middle of a famine. David is trying to either create favor with Nabal and a new ally, or at least ensure that his kindness towards the shepherds would be known and compensation to be had. David instructs his delegates to explain that no harm was done to Nabal's shepherds, and he even provides proof um, to Nabal, saying, ask your own young men. 
And in return, um, David wants Nabal to give him whatever he has on hand during a feast day. There would have been a lot to go around. David's basically just asking for whatever uh, Nabal can spare. Um, he doesn't go when there's you know, no food to be had. He goes when there's a lot of food um, and simply wants whatever Nabal can spare. So what is Nabal's response? As you can imagine, not the best. Verses 9 through 11 paint the picture of Nabal's response. It says, When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So first, Nabal insults David by saying, Who are you? Who again, David um, had had a considerable amount of power and and his name was known. Um, And so David is insulted. I mean, Nabal's basically like, Who are you? I don't don't know you, even though um, he likely would have known at least the name of David. Nabal then goes on to further insult David by saying that David could simply be another runaway servant. In fact, it might have even been a direct shot at the fact that David was fleeing from his once master Saul, who now wants to kill him. Nabal then goes on to essentially say, The food I have is for my shears, for my people, and not for the random man who I do not even know or know where he came from. So David is trying to acquaint himself with Nabal after spending time with Nabal's shepherds. David's trying to gain a reasonable compensation for a service. And Nabal, instead, rejects David, insults David's own name by saying, Who are you? As the story continues, David hears Nabal's response. The insults and rejection from Nabal uh, to David makes David ready for an attack. It says in verse 13, And David said to his men, Every man strap on a sword. And every man um, of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So David goes from 10 young delegates in an attempt to just find peace with Nabal and peaceful conversation to 400 armed soldiers ready to confront Nabal. Again, not the best look for David, who reacts to an insult in pure anger. This is where our hero and the focal point of this sermon comes in, Abigail. So what do we know about Abigail? Well, verse 3 says that the name of, Abigail, of Nabal's wife is Abigail, and she was discerning and beautiful. Nabal is described here as harsh, badly behaved, um, and a Calebite, which later we know is an enemy nation to David. So as David is about to attack Nabal, a young man decides to go directly to Abigail to warn her. It's interesting because instead of this young man going to Nabal, Abigail is the one who's confronted. The servant knows that if he were to go to Nabal, the conflict would likely increase with Nabal either fighting back or ignoring the warning. Instead, Abigail is warned. And in verse 14, it says, But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. So Abigail is is told the series of events that's um, creating the conflict between Nabal and David. 
Nabal's men um, even insult Nabal here by calling him worthless and that no one can speak to him, which basically proves that Nabal um, was, was not respected even by his own household, um, and they were scared for their lives and didn't want Nabal to um, either escalate the problem or ignore the problem, and so instead they go to Abigail. And so Abigail hears what's going on, and in verses 18 and 19, um, Abigail immediately gathers food and sends it ahead with her servants to David. And she doesn't tell Nabal what she does. So she gathers um, a lot of different food, and you can read about that in, in verses 18 and 19. And she basically sends them ahead and says, I'm going to go meet David. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. Uh, and she doesn't tell Nabal what she's doing. It's interesting that she doesn't tell Nabal. There's an element there of wisdom and understanding the situation as Abigail chooses to not tell her husband what she's doing. Abigail knows that if Nabal knew, A, that she was going to meet David, and B, give him food, remember, Nabal already refused to give David food, um, that he would be angry and the situation would escalate. Instead, Abigail does this on her own and does not involve Nabal. It also shows an immense lack of respect that those around Nabal had. Again, the, the servant avoids Nabal and goes directly to Abigail. And second, Abigail herself knows that in order to resolve a potential conflict and literally save lives, Nabal is the last person that she could go to. It's very sad, actually, to think about the relationship that Abigail and Nabal had. Verse 20 describes the initial encounter with Abigail and David. So again, Abigail's riding out to meet David, sending you know, a, a large amount of gifts um, to meet him. And in verse 20 it says, And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. So David and Abigail have officially met. David, after meeting Abigail, reminds Abigail and affirms the story that she heard from her servant at the warning. David tells Abigail, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. David, who protected Nabal's shepherds and looked after them and simply wanted an acquaintance or compensation from Nabal, was rejected and insulted. David goes on to explain his anger for Nabal in verse 21. He says, God, do so to the enemies of David to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I have so much as one male of all who belong to him. Basically, David tells Abigail, every male in Nabal's house, I'm ready to destroy. He's ready to to attack and and wipe out Nabal and his entire uh, household. As Abigail meets David, Abigail realizes that she needs to show honor to David, and she immediately gets off her donkey and bowed to him. In doing so, the wisdom portrayed by Abigail illustrates the way in which she recognized David and his authority, counteracting the insult that her husband Nabal used when, um, when he said he did not know David. Abigail shows respect to David, but also respect to God. Her wisdom is personified here in her response. At the same time, the customary thing to do in those days as a sign of respect is to bow, and therefore Abigail proves this. Abigail, upon meeting David, takes the blame for Nabal's ignorance and mistakes. She says in in verse 24 and 25, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. So Abigail uh, falls on David's feet and essentially tells David that her husband is a fool and that, she sh- and that she should be the one to blame because the servants came to Nabal instead of her. 
She insinuates that if David's servants had come to her first, that she would have taken them in and shown them the respect that David was hoping for, the opposite of what Nabal did. At the same time, even though calling him a fool, she does remain loyal to Nabal and tries to, to take the blame from him. Incredible stuff from the wife of a man who we know was, was evil. Abigail's courage and loyalty shines brightly here. Of course, calling your husband a fool is not exactly showing respect, um, but Abigail is fighting life and death here, and Nabal's actions were foolish, um, and she does not beat around the bush with David. If she tried to defend Nabal, even trying to justify Nabal's actions, David likely would have had not much to do, to do with it and might have continued to, to storm in. Again, the relationship that Abigail and Nabal have is obviously not healthy, yet Abigail still chooses to put herself at risk for Nabal and her household. Abigail goes on in the same statement to acknowledge both David and David's God, which is our God. Abigail knows that David is aligned with God. She knows uh, she knows belief and respect to God. She shows belief and respect to God Himself. She says in verse twenty-six, "Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal." So Abigail acknowledges God and acknowledges David's soul as being aligned with God. Abigail also reminds David of the mistake that he is about to make by by destroying Nabal. She explains that if David attacks, that he would be guilty of blood guilt. And she says that instead instead, let anyone who is against David and anyone therefore against God be as Nabal, that is, as a fool. She basically says, let God handle those who are fools and instead don't make the mistake of blood guilt. Let God handle it. How many times should we pause and think a similar thing? I'm not talking about, you know, blood guilt and and mass murder, as I hope that doesn't cross your mind. But how many times do we get caught up in our own self-righteousness, our own pride, our own desires, and we steamroll forward, making our own mistakes and our own sins along the way? That person who wrongs us, we go out and bash them behind their back. We create ideas of revenge, even passive-aggressive revenge. That person who insults us, we decide to insult back. We decide to attack back. That person who disagrees with us, we um, attack on social media. Whatever it is, we can be consumed with our own sense of self-righteousness, as David was here, and forget that God is ultimately in control, and he will take care of things in his own timing and in his own way. Abigail recognizes this and reminds David of this. And Abigail goes on to further rebuke David in a respectful and powerful way. And we can see this rebuke in verses 27 through 31. I won't read um, that, but you can see it in your, um, in your Bible there. But I'll summarize it here. Abigail uses her wisdom, she uses her discernment and courage to dissolve the conflict while also recognizing David's authority and the authority of God. After explaining that if David were to destroy Nabal, he would be guilty, she then goes on to call David her Lord and says that because David is aligned with God, that God will make him a sure house. Abigail does the opposite of what Nabal did. She acknowledges David as the anointed future king. She acknowledges David as aligned with God and shows respect to him and to God. At the same time, Abigail wisely and courageously rebukes David by telling him that the bloodshed he is about to commit would be wrong and that if he were to do it, he would be guilty. In verse 30, we see Abigail's continued rebuke, saying that once God has appointed David as prince over Israel, that he will not have the guilt of this bloodshed weighing him down. 
Abigail recognizes David as the future prince of Israel and pulls on David's conscience to do the right thing and not destroy Nabal simply for self-righteousness sake. She affirms that David's enemies will one day be dealt with by God in God's own timing and plan and that there is no need for him to take the matter into his own hands and therefore have to live with the guilt afterward. Abigail is respected here by David. Again, showing the respect that those around have of Abigail. David could have easily ignored Abigail, or worse, and and continued to move toward Nabal. Instead, he's willing to pause and have this conversation with her. The food she sent ahead shows the wisdom she had, but this encounter also shows the way in which Abigail had an immense amount of courage. Abigail risked her own life to confront David and stop him from from attacking Nabal and her household. Not only does Abigail confront David, she courageously and wisely stands up for what is right and rebukes David for the sin he was about to do. Abigail, in one swift conversation, saves her husband, saves her household, and also saves David from a major mistake. Her courage was also the result of her loyalty to Nabal and Nabal's house, even though Nabal was a harsh man and treated her and others wrong. Abigail was loyal to her husband and risked her life to protect him and the household. She also showed respect to God himself and to David, who she recognizes as God's anointed and future Prince of Israel. What an incredible illustration of courage, wisdom uh, from Abigail. So what does David do after hearing the rebuke? For a lot of people, rebuke is hard to hear. David could have easily continued in his anger and moved forward with his plan to attack Nabal. He could have easily maybe even hurt Abigail. We don't know. Instead, we see in verses 32 to 35, David's response. Again, I won't read that chunk, but you can see it in your Bible. David, in verses 32 to 35, acknowledges that God sent Abigail for a reason and that God used Abigail to ensure the bloodshed did not happen. David first blesses God and thanks God for using Abigail. David goes on to to then bless Abigail for her discretion and her wisdom in how she handled the situation. David also humbly listens to the rebuke that Abigail courageously had of David's potential actions, and David realizes the bloodshed would be wrong and that God should be the one to choose life and death, not him. David also acknowledges that if it were not for Abigail, every male in Nabal's household would be destroyed. David then receives the peace offering from Abigail and sends her back home in peace. David humbles himself also before Abigail, realizing that Abigail is is God's messenger and obeys um, Abigail's rebuke. Abigail, through her wisdom and courage to first confront David, but also rebuke him in the name of God, not only saved Abigail's husband and her home, but it also saved David from the guilt of mass murder. As we continue in the story, we quickly circle back to Nabal, who we know to be a fool, As Abigail returns home, after literally saving Nabal and his entire household, Nabal is throwing a party and is completely oblivious to what has just transpired. Nabal has no regard for his actions against David and no regard for what is going on. He's also drunk from the party. Abigail decides to not say anything that night as Nabal was was drunk and not in in his right mind. Abigail decides to wait until the morning when Nabal's drunkenness has worn off. Abigail then tells Nabal what happened. Verse 37 says, His heart dies within him, and he became as a stone. So Abigail tells Nabal what happens, and Nabal literally freezes, and it says he dies 10 days later. Wild. 
Nabal's foolishness caused his own demise, but not at the hand of David, but in God's timing and in God's way. Instead of David having to live with the guilt of Nabal's bloodshed, Abigail saves Nabal, saves David, and God then rescues Abigail from a horrible marriage. Abigail remained loyal to Nabal, even though he was an evil man, and God allowed Abigail to then be freed from that marriage. The story ends with David marrying Abigail. David blesses um, God and acknowledges God's provision and rescuing of David from guilt through using Abigail. David then acknowledges God's power and plan after he learns of Nabal's passing. David then sends servants to ask Nabal to become his wife, and Abigail recognizes this as God's plan uh, and that she has been saved from a terrible marriage and now blessed to enter the household of David, who she knows will be the king one day. She goes to meet David and becomes his wife. It's easy in our 21st century context to think of this as a bit of a weird reward. Essentially, Abigail, after saving her own husband through her discernment and courage, even though her husband was evil and treated her and others wrongly, she was loyal to him and risked her own life to save him. Abigail also risked her own life by rebuking David and sparing David from the guilt of murder. And all of this culminates in Abigail becoming a single woman again after her husband's death and being able to enter into the household of a future king, which was a much better life for her. God rescues Abigail and shows his authority over the situation. So that's that's the story. Pretty wild. So what can we draw from all of this? We've already touched on a few uh, pieces that we can apply to our own life, but I want to spend the next few minutes pulling some of this apart into our own context and into our own lives. So first, let's reflect on the mistakes of Nabal. So Nabal, um, he's ignorant to the authority of God. He's stuck in his own ways and harsh toward his household and harsh toward his wife. I don't want to spend a lot of time applying and, and kind of diving in and pulling apart Nabal. But at the same time, as I was reflecting on this story, I realized that there are times in our own life that we can be ignorant to God and ignorant uh, to those that God has put in our life. As David presents his men before Nabal in an attempt for peace and friendship, Nabal instead rejects this and continues in his own selfish and sinful way, even bashing David and refusing to acknowledge David and therefore God's authority through David. As we are here this morning, consider your own life and those times that God might be speaking to you and sending things your way to try and get your attention. Are you like Nabal and refuse to acknowledge God's authority in your life? We can be so easily caught up in our own careers. We can be caught up in our own wealth. For Nabal, he was caught up in the sheep-shearing business that he had. We can be caught up in our own households, whatever it is, and ignorantly and arrogantly reject God and his authority. We know that God's authority is revealed through David countless times, yet Nabal was so caught up that he did not even want to acknowledge David, saying, who are you, even resorting to call David a runaway servant. When God tries to get our attention, consider how you can pause and allow that voice to make a difference in your life. God will try and get your attention through many means, sometimes through people, sometimes through our own time with God, sometimes in ways that are indescribable and unexpected, yet God is trying to get your attention constantly. Are you ready to listen, even if that means changing things in your life? Even if that means giving something away or humbling yourself, as Nabal was asked to do? Whatever it is, will you be like Nabal and refuse to acknowledge God's authority? Or will you allow God's voice, through whatever means, to actually make a difference in your life? 
For David, as we see, he allowed God's voice, this time through Abigail, to actually be heard and listened to. David, who we know to be a man after God's own heart, despite his numerous mistakes, one of which almost happened in the story in the form of mass murder, allowed Abigail to rebuke him and therefore listen to God's voice and God's instruction. As we reflect on David's choices here, we're also reminded of the times our own self-righteousness, our own sense of what we think is owed to us, our own desire for justice after a wrong, can cause us to act out quickly and sinfully. David, after being refused and, and hurt by Nabal, quickly and deliberately sought out revenge. He thought he was owed Nabal's respect. He thought he was in the right by attacking Nabal and inserting his own authority into the situation. This one hit close to home as I prepared. It's so easy to be consumed by our own life that when, when wrongs are done to us, or when we see wrongs, or even perceived wrongs in the world, we jump into attack mode. Whether the attack is on social media in a response, whether the attack is to passively aggressively judge someone, whether the attack is to bash others behind their back or actually confront someone not in love but in anger, attempting to assert our own dominance and perceived rightness, we can often act very similarly to what David was about to do and, and, and did. Obviously, I hope it doesn't go as far as mass murder, but so often we jump to our sense of justice that we forget that God is actually the only one who has the authority and that we need to hand these things off to God. Even if there is a wrong done, and I know that there are times, many, that wrongs are done, there is a right and a wrong way to handle those wrongs. David needed Abigail to stop him in his tracks, to remind him of God's authority and the sin that he was about to commit. Is there an Abigail in your life that God is sending to stop you from a rash decision? Is there an Abigail in your life that God sends to stop you from giving the finger back to the guy in the red Corvette who cut you off? Is there an Abigail in your life that God sends to stop you from posting that angry response on Facebook to a conflict that you really don't even need to be involved in? Is there an Abigail in your life to stop you from screaming back at your friend after they yell at you for driving on their lawn? Are we ready to pause before acting, even if it is a wrong against us, and first talk to God and allow God to shine through that conflict and be the one to forgive bring peace, and not simply react. I'm not saying, and hear me out, to ignore wrongs. There are times when confrontation in love and in peace needs to be had, and Abigail shows us this. But we need to align our response first to God and let God's authority take over as we patiently seek after God's will and direction in our life. For David, he allowed God to take over after Abigail confronts him, and God then brought his timing and justice when Nabal died. Let's remember this morning to pause and allow God to take control of our actions, even when wrongs are done to us, even when we are angry, even when we're hurt. As we continue to tie all this into our own life, we now get to discuss Abigail herself, who shows resounding character as she saves her husband, her household, and David. First, as we see, Abigail is a woman of understanding. Again, she's described as a woman, a woman of understanding right at the beginning. She's a woman of discernment and of wisdom. There is a reason the servant, upon hearing of David's attack, goes immediately to Abigail instead of Nabal. She was respected as being the one to know what to do. Abigail knew, knew immediately what to do, how to resolve the conflict. As we live our life, consider the times that, dis, that discernment is needed within situations. Abigail saw a conflict 
and wisely, in love and in respect, chose to intercede. As I said before, there are times when wrongs and conflicts need to be resolved and confronted, but there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. Abigail shows wisdom and discernment as she confronts the conflict head-on, but with respect to God, with respect to God's authority through David, and with respect to David, and even in some ways with respect to her sinful husband. Consider your own life right now. Is there conflict going on right now that you need to pause and consider the best way to react? Are you allowing God to speak into that conflict, that issue, by seeking after him? We can learn from Abigail in this way as she shows an incredible amount of understanding and ends up saving both David and Nabal. As part of this wisdom, Abigail shows also an incredible amount of courage. She rides out to meet David, which alone puts her at risk. Abigail could have easily not done anything. She could have, she could have even fled upon hearing that um, an attack was happening. She could have fled and, and allowed Nabal to fend for himself. She could have done lots of things. Instead, she confronted the issue head-on and shows courage. David could have easily ignored and, and um, moved on without her, out of anger. Nabal could have found out and hurt her and stopped her. There were many scenarios that could have happened, but instead God allowed Abigail's courage to shine through and the situation to be resolved. The rebuke of David shows a similar courage as even though David had authority, she humbly, confidently did the right thing and resolved a life-threatening conflict with a respectful rebuke and dialogue. Abigail's confidence is a resounding lesson for us that there are times when confrontation and rebuke are needed. Sometimes that puts us in various dangers. Dangers of being ridiculed for taking a stand against the majority. Dangers of being attacked by the person or, or people that we are confronting. At the same time, as we prayerfully enter into relationship with God, God wants us to hold each other up, keep each other accountable, even if that means rebuke. Rebuke, as Abigail shows, does not mean attack every issue or ridicule, or judge, but it does mean show love to those around us and intercede, if needed, in a peaceful, respectful, and loving way. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to have a conversation with in love and be the Abigail for them. That alone takes courage, but as we prayerfully lean into God, God will direct us and show us how and when those times are needed. Maybe God will use you to save a life to save a marriage, to save someone from immeasurable guilt, to save, to save someone from an addiction, and so much more. Let's lean into God this morning and ask him for the confidence to intercede prayerfully, respectfully, and peacefully into the times where it's needed. This does not mean every single little issue, but it also does not mean never. There is a time and a place for godly confrontation in love, as Abigail shows us. Abigail knew that the confrontation was needed with David, but she also knew that confronting Nabal was not the time or the place. Her understanding is immense here. How can we cultivate a godly attitude of respect, even amidst conflict, alongside an unwavering commitment to tell the truth? Finally, the loyalty that Abigail presents is an incredible testament to her character and also a lesson for us. Nabal was an evil man, yet Abigail still put herself at risk to save him and his household. Abigail could have easily not done what she did, and Nabal and his household would have been killed. Instead, she trusted that the right thing to do was to confront David and save her husband and those around her. Abigail showed loyalty to her foolish and cruel husband and the people in her household simply by putting herself at risk and going to David. 
Abigail does not defend Nabal's actions. She knows that, they, that Nabal is in the wrong and even calls Nabal a fool. Yet Abigail still puts herself out there to save Nabal, Nabal even amidst his shortfallings. God's authority ultimately rang through as Nabal died shortly after all of this. Yet, yet Abigail stayed true to her husband even amidst his foolishness. Abigail then became loyal to David and entered into, entered into his household through marriage. God honored Abigail and allowed her to be freed um, from a terrible marriage in his own way and in his own plan. There are many aspects to this story, and I hope that this morning there were things that you were able to draw, draw from. I know that um, the structure was a little bit different and that it was a lot more story-based, um, and I hope that there were some insights we were all able to draw from. I think each person in this story allows us elements to learn from. Are there times that we're like Nabal, oblivious, cruel, and ignorant to God's authority? Are there times that we're like David, quick to react, ready to attack at any time for any wrong, no matter how big or how small? Or are we like David, who eventually does listen to the voice that God used to intercede and stop David from sin? Are we like David, who respects the voice of Abigail, who confronts him and allows a loving rebuke to be heard? Finally, are we like Abigail, who shows immense wisdom to know how to intercede, how to de-escalate the situation, and how to resolve the issue? Are we like Abigail, who shows courage by taking the fall for her husband, confronting David and rebuking his actions? Are we like Abigail, who's loyal to her household and her husband, despite the foolishness that he shows? I pray this morning that these pieces we drew from the story can, can hold true in your life. Maybe it's just one piece that's standing out. That's totally fine. Ask God to speak to you this morning and point out which of these pieces is standing out and which, which of these pieces might need to be dealt with. Abigail shows us what it means to be a woman of understanding, a woman of confidence and loyalty, a woman not afraid to share the truth, even if it meant the hard truth, and even if it meant sharing it with someone of great authority. Let's pray as we conclude. Um, we're also going to be entering into communion um, And let's reflect on the way in which Jesus has also interceded for us already on the cross and allows us to enter into relationship with him despite the wrongs we've done. Father God, um, thank you for this incredible story of of courage and and wisdom. Thank you for the lessons that we learn, um, the times that, um, yeah, I I pray that you forgive us for the times that we uh, might be like David who rides in and is about to attack after um, being hurt. Pray that you forgive us for, for the times that maybe we're like Nabal, who is oblivious um, and ignorant and um, against the authority that, that you have. I pray that we can be more like Abigail, um, who you use God um, to save and to resolve a very um, hostile situation, Lord. Um, I pray that we can um, show wisdom and show courage and show uh, loyalty in our life. Um, I pray that we can learn from all of this um, and be your hands and feet in the world. Um, thank you again for, for these people that, um, even though it was many, many years ago, have gone before us that we can learn from and draw on. And um, Yeah, so I thank you for that. Thank you for this morning, and thank you as we prepare our hearts um, and enter into communion um, that you, uh, yeah, thank you that you've interceded for us as well already on the cross. Amen.